I'm glad y'all clapped because I was going to have y'all clap for that. And why don't we do that again and give, give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. And thank you, Tim, and thank you, choir. What a blessing it is uh, to worship uh, with such great musicians, Alan, Frank, Tim, the choir, and to see children come to the front of the church to learn the stories, the stories that we hold so dear, and to be nurtured in the faith, and to see people from all generations worshiping together. If that doesn't give you chill bumps, I don't know, it does me. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Samuel 17. I'm not going to read the whole story. It's a rather long passage, and I encourage you uh, to go home after the service, maybe after lunch and after your Sunday afternoon nap, and go back and read the story again. But if you'd like to sit back uh, as we read through... Uh, no nap. <laughs> What's that? No nap. Yeah, some don't get nap. Uh, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel... Uh, the story of David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephesdemim. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. Now I'll be reading verses 4 through 11. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with the coat of mail. And he was armed, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And now I'm skipping to verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, Fighting with the Philistines, David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And now finally, 32 through 49. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy. 
and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he wasn't used to them. Then David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hands and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag and in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." And when the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. My brothers and sisters and beloved friends, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me for a moment? Gracious and loving and almighty God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, speak to us. Illumine our hearts that we may trust you and be obedient. And now, Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, you who are our rock, and our redeemer. And we ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you, almighty God, our Father, and with God the Holy Spirit, one God, true God, our God, now and forever. Amen. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this uh, sermon series like I have, the stories, Sunday school stories, hearing the stories that we learned, maybe when we 
went down to the front of the church or maybe on the laps of our parents, our grandparents, those who were grandparent figures or parent figures, aunts, uncles, our heroes in the faith. But going and digging a little bit deeper, last week we talked about feeding the multitudes, the 8.30 service, I said the 10,000, I said it was really 5,000 men, but if you've ever fed a teenage boy, it's like feeding uh, 10,000. After feeding them and their friends, it's even more so of a miracle. And then before that, Joseph, and learning more than just about his, his neat coat. So I've enjoyed that, going back and meditating on Scripture. And when we do that, it comes even more alive. We read things, even just reading that, I went, aha, gosh, I wish I'd included that. So I encourage you to go back, read the story, dig deep, and don't be afraid to ask questions. The children's moment this morning, again, could you... Did you remember, go back memory lane, I remember hearing that story for the first time, and then just thinking about it this week, I thought about underdogs. Who doesn't love a good underdog story? Don't we all love it when the underdog wins, right? Uh, think about underdogs in movies. Ask Kevin about underdogs. Give me some underdog movies, and I guess he was doing something else and uh, didn't say much, but the one I thought of right off the bat was the movie Rudy. And then uh, Disney movies, Turbo the Snail. Remember that one? Any of you see that? Turbo the Snail. You know, snails are slow, but Turbo ends up winning. Or for those of us who heard the fable, the tortoise and the hare, you know, the tortoise ends up winning. Or the classic for little girls, Cinderella, you know, who's treated badly and she's the underdog and she ends up marrying the prince and lives happily ever after. We love a story about an underdog. Or maybe it's a football team. Maybe, I hope I don't offend anybody, but don't we love it when Alabama gets beat, unless you're a real big Alabama fan. Yeah, we love it when number one, or maybe Clemson. And sorry, honey, um, or what about when Ohio State gets beat, except for at my house, and there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, and great wrath, and all that good stuff. But we love it when the southwestern, northeastern, podunk state knocks off the Alabamas, the Clemsons, or the Ohio States. I mean, we love that. And then I thought about underdogs that I've worked with throughout my career. Uh, most of you know that I've worked before I went into seminary in social services, behavioral health. And I worked with folks who, a lot of them, were underdogs, had had tough lives, mentally ill, dealing with substance abuse, a history of incarceration, foster children, sometimes all of the above. And I remember two examples vividly. I mean, there, I'm sure there are many more, but two immediately came to my mind. And if you were to look at their histories, look at the stories of their lives, you'd think, they don't stand a prayer. There is not a chance for them to be successful. There's just no way. They're sunk. One grew up, uh, whose parents dumped him out on the side of the road, literally, and left him to fend for himself. And for himself. Fast forward many years, is now literally a rocket scientist with NASA. Married, has children of his own, well-adjusted, one of the nicest 
and smartest people I've ever met. But if you read his story, it's like, no, not a chance. And then another young lady that was a personal client of mine, reading her history, her intake forms, I said, oh, no, what are we going to do with this one? Had been in the foster care system, then group home to group home. Five children by different fathers, addicted to substances, uh, history of incarceration, mental illness, no support system whatsoever. Didn't look good. Fast forward over 10 years. She's graduated from college. She's gotten her kids back. She's sober. And she has faith in God. And both of these two individuals would tell you that it wasn't just them. Yes, they had to do the work, but it was because of the Lord. We love an underdog story, but this story, this classic underdog story in Scripture, if you dig deeper, it's much, much more than that. You heard the synopsis. You know, here's David. Well, let's review a few facts about David. Who was David? The son of Jesse, Jesse in Beth of Bethlehem. We know about that place. He was the youngest, and it's not the first time in Scripture that the youngest took precedence over the oldest. It's a common motif in Scripture. He was a shepherd. He loved God, and he trusted God. He was imperfect, and we'll go more into that. A sinner, a regular person like you and me, full of shortcomings. Again, he trusted and loved God. Did you catch the part where it said the Israeli army was terrified? These are guys, including David, three of David's brothers, who had trained as warriors since their youth. This was their job. David was a shepherd. They were scared to death of this guy because Goliath, you see, as we heard in the children's moments, was over nine feet tall. David, by all accounts, was about 5'5", five five, roughly about my height. And Goliath had trained as a warrior. David was a kid. David was a kid. David, uh, if you read even back further in 1 Samuel, had been anointed secretly by the prophet Samuel. Because God was displeased with Saul. Saul was arrogant. Saul was disobedient. And so God took his spirit from him. But he was still on the throne, so Samuel had to anoint him, David, secretly. Scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. We read later about some of the things David did. We think, really? Well, yeah, he was a sinner. But he trusted God. He knew where his power came from. So now what? Paul Scott Wilson, who wrote one of the textbooks, probably one of the more helpful textbooks I read in seminary, the four-page sermon, said, always look for where is God in this story? You know, we want to see this as an underdog story, and yes, we love it when the 
podunk teams beat the big and mighty. But there's more to the story. Where is God? What is God doing? What is God up to? What is God showing us about God's self and about God's relationship to us? Well, one writer, Paul Evans, says, God is able to transform any situation. This was a pretty big situation, a four-foot height advantage, a trained warrior, and you got a kid. But David, he said, I ain't scared. I fought lions and bears. Yeah, this Philistine's not really that big of a deal. God is able to transform any situation. Also tells us that it is pointless and futile to go against God. And throughout Scripture, if you even take a casual glance through Scripture, God uses the littlest, what the world thinks is the littlest and the least, to accomplish God's mission, God's power. You know, Paul writes in in his letters that God's power is made even more evident through weakness. You know, when he wanted to have his thorn in the flesh removed, but God's power is made even greater. God is in control. This passage also tells us that God uses imperfect people. Thanks be to God. When I first started talking to Andy about uh, possibly coming here, and then after I said yes and, oh, this would be great, He said, well, I'm going to tell you, uh, this is a wonderful church. St. Matthew's is a great church, great staff, great people, but you know what? We're not perfect. And I said, well, that's a relief because I would surely mess it up the second my little toe crossed the threshold. Remember one time, and I hear my husband saying a loud amen. She's imperfect. I told my seminary mentor, oh, I can't do this. You know, I just don't feel qualified. I don't feel equipped. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm too much of a sinner. Yeah, just too much of a knucklehead. And she said, look at the disciples. Just look at them. She said, you know what? God didn't, ex- Jesus didn't exactly pick the A-team, did he? You're in good company. We're in good company. I said, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So God can use imperfect people like me, like you, regardless of our age, our ability, our disability, our sins, our imperfections, God's power can accomplish God's mission. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, but he was obviously flawed. We didn't read the part where David's oldest brother confronted him after he left the provisions with the baggage keeper. David went and said, hey, this is what I'm going to get if I win this, win this battle. David had some pride and some greed. His older brother called him out on it. He would have done well to have listened to that because we all know what David did. Adultery and having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, sent to the front of the line in battle and be killed. But he repented. Another thing this passage teaches us is that it is faith that saves us. Faith in God's grace, in God's power. David trusted God. 
And unlike Saul, Saul refused to fight. David didn't flinch. David knew where his power came from. He put on that armor. You ever tried to do a job with clothes that didn't fit or maybe shoes that didn't fit? Try to do housework and heels or uh, can you imagine a football player trying to play football in a tutu or a ballet dancer trying to do ballet in a football uniform? I mean, it just doesn't work. David said, no, I'm, I'm not used to this. So all that great and glorious armor, the pomp, the circumstance, the arrogance of the world, and like Goliath had, David said, nah, I'm going to go get my slingshot. I'm going to pick up five smooth stones. I'm going to take him out. And scripture says, the prophet Zechariah said, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit says the Lord. David knew that. And finally, David, again, although he was flawed, later became king, the greatest of the Israeli Hebrew kings. And he points us to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God's Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, who, as we know, born in Bethlehem. Do you see all the foreshadowing? born in Bethlehem, and won the victory, the ultimate victory, over sin, sickness, death, all the Goliaths in our lives. Family problems, sickness, addiction, financial problems, work problems, all of the above. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant business. So David points us to our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. And he has won the battle. Scripture also tells us, and Andy posted this the other day, and if you're not signed up for the Rooted in Christ, and no, he did not pay me or offer to buy me lunch to say this, uh, it's, a great, it's great to learn Scripture. Uh, we don't fight against flesh and blood. That's not our ultimate enemy. And how do we fight battles? Not with the armor of the world. Not in our own strength, my friends, because we're going to get tired. How did Jesus defeat Satan? He said, it's written, study your Bible. Pray. Stay connected to fellow believers. And trust God. David Imperfect, like, like us. He made mistakes. He had his ups and his downs. But in the end, he trusted God and, know, and knew that God had won the battle. Today, do you know that God has won the battle? That Jesus, the King of Kings, has overcome everything, died for your sins, and we say, during our communion liturgy. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And do you believe it? Today, if you haven't made that decision, today's a good day to put your whole faith in Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to sing our hymn of commitment, so I invite everyone, but before we do that, would you bow with me?